This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking the trial of the Chicago 7. And I'm not out of order. He's somewhat out of order, but not quite out of order. She's out of order. Maybe he's out of order. He's definitely out of order. And they're out of order. But I'm slightly in order. We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not here. He was called away to do some work at the last minute, which is a shame because he is quite a fan of the person whose film we are talking about this week. But we'll get into that in a second. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via mostly spoiler for review, the occasional commentary track, or some other film movie topic. This is episode 300 and... F- 300. This is episode 423. 423. Wow. Right? Color me impressed. <laughs> you you were on like episode like eighteen. <laughs> I was yeah, the relative beginning. Yes, and here we are. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this week for episode four hundred twenty three, we're talking the trial of the Chicago Seven, the new film from writer director Aaron Sorkin, based off history, <laughs> and it's available on Netflix right now. So if you haven't seen it, you could you could stop this podcast, have it very close by you watch this movie and then come back not too far because it's right next to you because that's what you did and continue listening to this extraordinary podcast we're about to put together um but yeah we are talking that film and you've heard them already our guest today to talk about the trial of the chicago seven we have from fast film reviews don't call him a yippie it's mark hoban hi everyone mark how are you doing this evening i'm doing good i mean as as good as can be expected in our current uh you know 2020 I hear you. Did you. Have you had a nice weekend? Yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I, I over the weekend I I saw the film that we were about to discuss. So, um, and uh, yeah, it was good. How about you? I I did have a good weekend. My my lovely girlfriend and I. Every October, actually, we do a corn maze. We go to a corn maze somewhere in in California until we venture out to other states, I guess. And uh, we found another one, and uh, we did it. It was a lot of fun. We we like going to these corn mazes. We, uh, we even uh. They're always in a pumpkin patch, so I picked out myself a pumpkin. I got her a couple sunflowers. Oh, no, good uh, good little Saturday we had there. So the corn maze, you did it during the day, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I've done corn mazes during the day, and they're fun. I, I always wonder like what it would be like to do it at night. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it would be fun. Um, I will say— Maybe add an extra element of you know fear to the— I know some corn mazes do, do like specifically add, you know, like—, like um, Haunted like 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 a uh, Halloween Horror Nights that kind of like extra right. scary element on purpose as opposed to just doing it at night. I know they purposely try to add that element, so I'd be into that. That is not honest thing. She's she's not a horror <laughs> person, so it's. Uh, but I think she'd be willing to give it a shot, maybe. I just uh, but you never know. We'll see. But uh, but yeah, so that that's what's going on over on my end. Um, and, uh, and that was weekend chat with Mark and Aaron. Um, let's uh, let's uh, move into some show notes here real quick. First up, speaking of horror in October, uh, it is the month where we do a 
selection of bonus episodes. There's always five weeks in October, and so we always do five extra episodes themed around horror films to some degree. And we've done a lot so far that are super fun and available right now. We did we talked about diversity in horror. We talked Friday the 13th for its 40th anniversary, and we talked Arachnophobia uh, for its 30th anniversary. Oh. I love that movie. It's a fun movie, and, uh, and yeah. give and give that show a listen. It's up now. We, we my lovely girlfriend and I and uh, Professor Mike Dillon, We all talked about it. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. It's so, a great combination of comedy and horror. They they call it a the marketing called it a thrillomedy. Oh really? <laughs> yes. I, I did not know that. The, the trailer literally says arachnophobia, a thrillomedy. They tried to coin that term. It did not work. Obviously. Yeah, I don't think it's stuck. <laughs> this is the first time hearing of that, but. Well, if you, if you, nonetheless, a good movie. It is a good movie. If you listen to that episode, you'll you'll hear Thrillomedy plenty. I guarantee <laughs> it. Um, and this uh, this coming episode uh, for the fourth week in October, we're talking about giallo and Italian horror films. Mark, are you a giallo fan? Oh, uh, yes. What's the? Uh, There's like Ar- Argento, the Dario Gento. Uh huh. Yes. I I I do. I've I've seen some of his more famous works, and mm. I I like his stuff. Yeah. Well, I uh, I. I, I do like Italian horror and giallo. That said, I've never been like the biggest study of it until recently because I know Brandon Peters, friend of the show, and Jimmy O, they've, they've, they're big fans. And I've, myself and Jason Coleman, we've all been doing these horror episodes together. We, we've, I've done my homework for sure. I've been watching a lot of giallo lately. So we're, I'm looking forward to getting into this finally because I know they've been wanting to do an episode themed around this for years. So, uh, listeners, stay tuned because that's going to be a fun one as well. And then we're finishing off the month with a new commentary track for Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Um, another perfect movie to talk about on this podcast. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, one of, one of the greats. Yes. So uh, stay tuned for all those. Those are all available on iTunes as well as wherever you can find our podcast. But speaking of iTunes, you can you can uh, go on there, search for our show out now there in Abe, and give us a rating and review. That'd be wonderful. You can pump us up in the old uh, iTunes charts there by uh, giving us a star rating and maybe even writing a few words or so about uh, our uh, our goofy show here. So uh, that'd be very much appreciated. Okay. Let's uh let's move into things here. Before we get to our main review, we're going to do my other favorite segment on here. What we would have talked about this week if everything didn't change, making things be even worse than they would have been, because that's just the way 2020 likes to have it right now. That is the whole segment title this week. <laughs> um, so this is where I'm going to go over one of the films, or the film, that would have come out originally were things not to be rearranged in this post-Bloodshot era. Mark... The movie that would have come out this week is Halloween Kills, the follow-up to the 2018 Halloween from director David Gordon Green. Were you uh, looking forward to another Halloween? You you liked the the new one that they recently made with Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Yeah, that one I I enjoyed. I think it surprised me because I think it was was a little better than I expected it to be, and it was very much a, a throwback to the original film. I think they sort of ignored the sequels that had come in yes. between. Um, so I, I sort of appreciated that sort of back to basics um, quality of it. Now, before you answer this next part of the question, I will say this new, the sequel, which is the first of two sequels they are making, they shot back to back. Not only are they bringing back the whole cast of that first sequel from 2018, they're all adding Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle, the little boy that was in the first Halloween that Jamie Lee Curtis helped protect, who was famously played by Paul Rudd in Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers, his first movie. Uh, they're all... okay. You're you're already blowing me with away with like information that I I had no idea. I'm out of let you know. Anthony Michael Hall is going to be in this new one, along with Charles Cyphers, who played Sheriff Brackett in the original Halloween. 
and Nancy Stevens, who played Marion Chambers, the assistant to Dr. Loomis in the original oh, wow. Halloween. So they're adding two original players from the John Carpenter classic, as well as as well as weird science as Anthony Michael Hall. So with all of that information, knowing that this is a sequel, the first of two, which I know you probably have feelings about, are you any more excited about the follow-up to Halloween with Halloween Kills? Uh, I mean, now that you've given me all all that information, maybe a little more. You've piqued my interest. Right. I, it's a a Blumhouse production, and mm-hmm. that I I have a you know a, a lot of respect for that uh, production company. So, in that respect, I think you know it's something that I would be uh, interested in. I don't know if it's at high on my list of things to see, but sure. but you know something that uh, I would definitely check out. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I liked the 2018 film. I'm a I'm a big Halloween fan in general. Like as far as even that series in general, I tend to like it more than the other slasher series out there. So like this new one was like, yeah, this is a solid movie. I enjoyed what it's doing. It's not my favorite of the sequels, but I still liked it a lot. And I guess I like that the same team is working on these other ones. And I know they had this. That's a good, that's a good sign. I'd, I'd say I'd say so. And I I know the. The initial planning, like, they had a lot of story they thought of before they were like, well, we can just make one movie and then see how it does. So I'd like to hope that there's a consistency as far as what they're trying to accomplish by making this, like, mini trilogy of sequels that they have planned here. So I'm hoping for the best. Did, and, did you mention that Judy Greer was in the film? Yeah, she was in the in the uh, the first one, as well, the 2018 one as well. So. Okay. So they're all, they're all back is what I'm saying. Okay. Like, yeah, everyone that was in that original that first sequel is back for this next yeah one. so and that's a good thing so yeah hopefully they, they have more to do like i, I you know judy Greer had little to do with that movie beyond us uh, a few things but uh yeah you, you, you sort of start to question like well how many different things can they do with this franchise because there's been so many you know so many of them but you know i i guess if if you're just primed to watch a, a good slasher f- pick then i think you'll probably be satisfied i can agree and like you mentioned like the 2018 one was like a back to basics kind of approach and that's a lot of what there is to admire about it so that makes me i, th- I think it's because of the quality of that film that i'm more curious than concerned about what they'll do with another one because it's like you you can't really just do that again because that was right. that was kind of well, the novelty of it right where it's like oh jamie Lee curtis is back and it's like what if this is what's going on like so what do you do next i guess we'll see <laughs> right so i hoping for the best and certainly it's supposed to arrive i believe like a year from now like literally they moved it all the way back to uh, next october so <laughs> okay well uh we have a, a long time to wait until we can we re-release this podcast at that time and yeah. it'll anticipate the new release just this five minutes that's, the, that's just, the just that that section yeah i will cut this I'll, I'll i'll put up three things i'll put up the commentary we recorded for halloween our review of Halloween 2018, and then this five-minute segment of us talking about the anticipation for this sequel one year from now. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, Halloween Kills does arrive October my, my my dad's birthday, October 15th, 2021. Uh, happy birthday to my dad, by the way. It's his birthday the other day. Um, so there you go. Um, okay, so Halloween Kills. That's what's going on. That's what's not. That's what actually. That's what's not going on this week. Instead. We're talking about something equally scary. Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. You alright? It was until I saw that. Martin's dead. Bobby's dead. 
Jesus is dead. They tried it peacefully. We gonna try something else. These rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security. This revolution, we may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Get out of the street! Get out of the street! When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for The Trial of the Chicago 7. Based on the true story of the Chicago 7, plus Bobby Seale, co-founder of the Black Panther Party, this is film from writer-director Aaron Sorkin follows the famous trial in which the federal government attempted to land convictions on several countercultural protesters, played by Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, among others, who supposedly incited a riot resulting in violence in Chicago during the 1968 Democratic National Convention. The film also features, among others, Mark Rylance as famous defense attorney William Kunstler, Yahya Abdul-Mateen as the aforementioned Bobby Seale, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as prosecutor Richard Schultz, and Frank Langella as Judge Julius Hoffman. Mark, with this acclaimed cast and a story based around a fiery moment in American history, did Sorkin give a solid case? So let me just start by saying I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin. I, I'm, uh, I loved A Few Good Men, um, The Social Network, Moneyball. He's done and there's others, but those are sort of like some of my favorites. And I think one of the things that Sorkin does so well is he has a really great ear for dialogue. Um, I think with the trial of the Chicago seven, I think he's a little, he's also directing this film, Mm -hmm. which is not something he does very often. He did it with Molly's game and now he's doing it again with this film. And I think it, for example, the social network was really a, a really well-written film, but it also had David Fincher's style and the way that he put that film together, which made it so cinematic. And I think with um, The Trial of the Chicago 7, it, it's got the writing, but I think it, it didn't grab me in the way that I really was hoping. Um, I think the... The fast-paced dialogue and the extended monologues, which I actually do like about Aaron Sorkin, are there. Um, but I think the presentation of the speeches is very traditional, and I think this film feels very dated to me. Um, it, it sort of feels like something that you would watch in school and you know to learn about, like, well, here's a historical event, and this is what happened, and and the the movie begins where it's sort of like here's all the people involved and it kind of introduces them in sort of a an extended sequence and then it it gets to the actual court case which you know is essentially the bulk of the film and that is compelling in parts but it's it's also very dry and i i do think that for moments i i did sort of feel like I'm I'm sort of listening to sort of a very didactic presentation of what happened. And, you know, you've got the the good guys are very clearly defined on one side and the bad guys are on the other. And we'll talk about Franklin Jell's performance Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he's very clearly set up as the villain in this piece. Um, But I, I wasn't really that 
captivated by the film as a whole. And I kind of left it at the end with, huh, okay, well, so that was, you know, that happened. And the, this is what, you know, the different people uh, involved uh, said and did. But I, I didn't, I didn't leave the film with a really, uh, you know, uh, emotionally satisfied by what I had watched. So uh, while I think it, it was very well written, um, and 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 we will talk about the performances, I, I wasn't really wowed by the film as a whole. Well, we tend to go into these not knowing what each other thinks about these movies, just to have some spontaneity here. And in this case, we're going to be seemingly on the same page. I, um, I. Two, like Aaron Sorkin, I'm a fan of the way he writes dialogue in his films, regardless of how... I think Steve Jobs is a perfect example of, yes, this is not a reality, it's very heightened on purpose, and that comes with the dialogue. People speak a certain way, they speak Sorkinese, they speak a particular way when addressing the others, and it has a rat-a-tat flow to it, and it's fun and everything, but I understand that it's not, you know, real necessarily. So, like, I can buy into that framework as far as dialogue goes, but yes, you need... You know, the better versions of his work tend to come with strong direction. And yeah, when you have people like Rob Reiner in his glory days or David Fincher, anytime it seems, that comes out really well. <laughs> um, that's a weird diss on Rob Reiner, but still, we all know he's had better days than not. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, A Few Good Men, we're talking about that film. That is really a well, at least as far as I'm concerned, a really well put together movie and extremely entertaining. I, I completely agree. And that was part of this like monster run that he had from the 80s to 90s, uh, early 90s. Uh, here, with him directing, it's I certainly see him trying, but I just, I couldn't like... He didn't know how to close this film to leave more of an impact for me, because I do think there's a lot of good moments in this movie, and I feel like if there was a stronger third act or a stronger final minutes, then maybe like the things that are bugging me would bug me less because at least it kind of won me over with a something powerful to say at the end or something to close it off nicely. But as it stands, it just kind of like stopped eventually, gave me some text on the screen, and called it a day. And so as a result, yeah, I, I feel you, Mark, as far as it does seem like a movie you'd kind of watch in school or something. That said, it also has enough going on where I can easily see this being like a big hit in like the 80s or 90s as far as a big courtroom drama with a big all-star cast. I can see that standing out in the box office. But between the quality I see from Aaron Sorkin's direction and just the way things are going in a theater, in, in theaters, not this year specifically, but as far as the kinds of movies that make money – I can get why Paramount was like, I guess we got to sell this to Netflix because there's not really a place for this to be at this point, which is unfortunate. But also, it's not strong enough for them to like really fight for this movie. I can see I either. So it's it's a shame because there's a lot of good stuff that we're going to get into. But I do think that, yeah, with a stronger directorial touch, there's a way to do this better. And to bring that up, I know Steven Spielberg was attached to this movie for a long right. time. He was going Initially. to make this movie at some point. Um, and the he, ideally he was going to cast mostly unknowns, and I also believe Will Smith was attached for like Bobby Seale, which would have been interesting to say the least. Hmm. Um, but that's kind of what I kept rubbing up against with this movie. I didn't know that going in when I watched this movie. I watched it not knowing that Sork Spielberg was involved, but thinking back on it, and I've actually since watched it a second time. You can see moments where it's like you could really see Spielberg nailing like the civics lesson approach to this movie with Sorkin dialogue to help him in the background. You know, uh, just to add on to what you're saying, I can see Steven Spielberg doing this because he did The Post. Yeah. You know, and Lincoln within the for last... that matter. I mean, like they're similar. <laughs> right. So it's definitely part of that sort of like mentality. Uh, 
Even Bridge so, of Spies, like his his past like three movies that aren't fantasies, like all seem to have this kind of let me teach you history quality to them that yeah. feels you know entertaining and well handled. Where... Lincoln, I I thought was a lot more successful than The Post. While oh, yeah, I, I enjoyed, agree. yeah, yeah, okay. But I I I think we're saying the same thing here. There is a there's a touch that because he's Steven Spielberg for one thing, but also just the way he's presenting this material. It's like even in like the cinematography here, like I'm not saying I needed John Kaminsky to blow out all the windows of lots of light and everything. But you could see the kind of faded coloring to be like, this is a serious scene now because we're in the trial and it's all washed out where other moments with like Sasha Baron Cohen being funny or whatnot, where he's like doing his stand up bits or in the open. They're like, it just feels there's a lot of obviousness that feels borderline cheesy at moments like the (laughs) some of the like. You can look at something like his TV stuff, like Sorkin's TV stuff, like The West Wing and The right. Newsroom, where I think The West Wing is like the best of Sorkin as far as what he's capable of doing, where The Newsroom really feels good. like the yeah. worst of Sorkin. And not that all of The Newsroom was bad. I think there's things that are good about that show, but I do think it's all of his worst tendencies were coming out. And this feels like a mix of both of those things, where there's good stuff in there, but it also feels like ah, he's teetering in this, like, I can tell you what I would have done hindsight vision version of how people talk in these courtrooms or whatnot and presenting it in all kinds of ways. So it's just, yeah, I, I would have loved, I would have loved it if somebody like David Fincher or even Steven Spielberg had directed this film and used his script and then added their sort of stamp of style to it. Because like in one sense, it, it needs a little more pizzazz, but at the same, at the same time, it's so like, it's very traditional. It, it's very much like the standard, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I needed more something innovative to it. And I, I, he definitely has a point of view. I mean, he, he, he you know, he has his like, uh, he, he wants to present this history and it, and it is essentially what I sort of expected. Um, but I think another director would have added an element to it that might have pushed it over the edge for me into something that I would really like, com- you know, say, hey, you guys, you got to see this. Whereas this movie, I feel like, you know, if I know somebody is sort of a fan of like, you know, historical dramas or 60s history, then I would say, yeah, I would recommend it. But I, I don't see myself recommending this film to too many people. I mean, I, I wouldn't go that far. I do think it works as a kind of general level entertainment as far as like you're getting a Sorkin script, you're getting a lot of good actors, it's on Netflix. Like that's easy to be like, you could watch this and be entertained by it. Like I said, I watched it twice at this point and I think the movie's you know, it's a solid average for me, but it's but it does like it moves. It's never like it never drown. It's you know, it's a, it's a quick pace two hours and change. I feel we should talk about the performances. Yes, let's I get think into that. There are like as you mentioned, it's an all-star cast. There's a lot of uh, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good work here, and there there's also some work here that's you know maybe it's it's a range. I think sure. Uh, who who stood out to you? Who who what what are some highlights? Well, to be for you? honest, the thing that so this is kind of I I have qualifications, but honestly, the one that stood out the most to me was Frank Langella as Judge Julius Hoffman. Now this character, uh, I had to look him up because I was I had to you know, and in any obviously a filmmaker has a point of view. I had to I had to question was this judge really that biased because he's definitely the villain of this piece and i think there's probably a mixture of yes he he, there was some truth to what the way they presented it and then there's also probably a little bit of hollywoodization into it but i i do think that franklin jella is is a compelling presence and while you know he's 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 obviously the villain of the piece I, i did sort of appreciate his um 
I don't know what he added to it. I, I don't know whether I would I, – I, I'm not saying that this is like an Oscar-nominated performance, but it is something that I do remember. It's probably the, the performance for me, uh, maybe and maybe Mark Rylance, but uh, Franklin Jell is probably the performance that I remember the most from this film. And and it, it, it is an interesting choice that he does. Um, you know, I, mean, I almost expected him to – you know, like, uh, you guys get to get off my lawn. You know, he's this very cranky sort of performance. And I, I'll save, you know, I'll let people be surprised by, like, his, his performance by watching it. But it is definitely something that I wasn't expecting and uh, and, and definitely something that uh, is unique. I, I will – I mean, I agree. I think Martin Franklin Jell is very good in this film, but I would add – as far as I can tell, he was worse in real life. As far as the things like the thing that gets him here is that he's charismatic, at least because he's Frank Langella. I, I can't imagine the things that are, you know, actually happening in this courtroom based off what history has told us is like as fun to watch as it is to watch him be this way in this movie. If you, do you know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are right. various well, things also, that there are various things that are, well, sorry. I was that just... are, mm-hmm. Well, just that uh, when you're watching a film like this, when sometimes you know how like you kind of sometimes cheer on the villain, you know, in, in a way that you know obviously in real life the villain is bad, and you but here you, you sort of like you're amused by sort of the exchanges because yeah. uh, particularly Mark Rylance and uh, uh, Frank Langella, uh, uh, Mark Rylance plays the uh, defense attorney, and you know they go back and forth, and and there's a lot of. Uh, you know, objections and, and you're out of order and, and this kind of thing. And, and, and that's, I sort of enjoyed that, you know, part I of agree. the film. Especially in the early, I think in the early parts of the trial where the film is bouncing the most off of each other, or like everyone's having, you know, bits to do. And Sorkin's very good at the, you know, dial, uh, like courtroom banter type stuff. Like, especially with like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen to adding his two cents uh, right. <laughs> into the proceedings. Uh, I and, was... and some of that is true. I, I think I've oh, read, yeah. like Abby Hoffman was, uh, he plays Abby Hoffman. He, he, there is a little bit of like, well, I'm going to sort of be the fly in the ointment and I'm not going to just like, you know, sit here and, and not say anything. Yeah, I, you know, I guess I should say this now. I, I, we, we'll talk about this the best we can. I mean, it's it's spoilers for history, I guess. I don't think we're going to we won't go too far into exact things that happened necessarily. But I do think, you know, this is this is stuff that's known. I don't think talking about it openly is going to ruin the film for you. It's just more of like reacting to what we're seeing here. But I. I am aware that the kind of the more comedic things are things that were documented that took place that they actually did right. during this time that are put in that are largely put in the film in a way that you know makes sense because there's a lot of you know dramatic stuff taking place so you want to have a you know some lightness coming through it and I do think that shows in some of the ways that the judge addresses Rylance as well as the other defendants and whatnot because uh, that there's a sharp comparison when it comes to how he treats Bobby Seale. Um, and right. when it stops when it stops being fun watching Franklin Gella be a terrible judge on this court right, case. Right. That's uh, a very memorable. Yeah, and then then that's something that happened. So yeah, and yeah. so that I want to talk about Yaya Abdul Mateen's role because I do think Bobby I think him as Bobby Seal is very good, but he's also I would say underused. Except there's only so much well, of him, but also a problem I have because, with this, be, a, a, a problem a problem that they I have with this movie is the extent that things happen to him and how he's treated is minimalized in this movie where oh there's a there's a there's an occurrence made to silence this man who has been left left without representation throughout the throughout the 
the movie that we're watching, he has no one representing him. That's made clear over and over again. He has no lawyer present, and he's wanting to represent himself, and he's being not denied that, which makes no sense to me as far as how that could actually happen in a courtroom. But here we are with the government acting in ways that I don't understand, which is pretty familiar these days. And so it's 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 like that's moments where it's like maddening to watch this take place. Yet I really like that performance. And I really like the the the, the fire energy that's going on between him and Rylance and Langella. And I just I kind of I find it unfortunate that the it doesn't quite go there as far as how you how how to really pull off how like hateful this stuff is. I get that the movie needs to be somewhat have breathing room, have ways to minimize some of the the dramatic touches that is going on, like how intense it needs to be. But at the Can, same time, there's some horrible things that they did to Bobby Seale in a courtroom of law, which kind right. Of, eh. Is it fair to say that um, you feel like his role was minimized and maybe it would have been nicer if Bobby Seale could have played a bigger part in the film? Yeah, because I... Because that's I think that, too. Uh, okay. And I will, I will say this. So the title of the film is... Um, the trial of the Chicago Seven. Mm-hmm. So, Bobby Seale is actually not part of that Chicago Seven. Yeah. It was actually originally they were the Chicago Eight, and because I mean, essentially, I mean, again, we're talking about history here, so I don't think I'm you know spoiling anything. Yeah. But he he was as late, later removed from the Chicago Chicago Seven because it felt like he was just kind of thrown into the group sort of unnecessarily. But I still think that despite the fact that he's not part of the Chicago 7, I think his story is a big part of this film. Oh, and yeah. I, I would have appreciated maybe a little bit more because as you watch this film, you're kind of wondering, like, well, why is he here and why was he thrown in here? I think they need to flesh out that character to make it a little more understandable. Yeah, it's the kind of I can understand as far as. We need to make a film that's manageable in length and we can only do so much or whatnot. But that's at the end of that. Sometimes that comes down to just making excuses because there's a whole different element that comes with what Bobby Seale represents, the Black Panthers, the fact that they're also like Fred Hampton is very much in the courtroom as well. Like there's a lot of very important information that could be it, it needs to be more than text on the screen or do some, you know, library research yourself. I shouldn't have to do that. And I feel like I'd be more satisfied if the movie presentation of these things if it did go out of its way to be like hey stuff like this stuff is very important to the narrative and the context of the film and we should do it but as it stands it and like it can it almost seems dismissive but that's kind of how i felt the black panther stuff it feels like props it feels like just things for the other white characters to bounce off of to speak about as opposed to giving them their own identity of who they are and yet you have mateen you have um kelvin harrison jr as fred hampton a very good actor it's like the stuff's there. I don't know if it's deleted out or if there's more to it, but for, as it stands, it's like this. There's a <laughs> when you do the things you do to Bobby Seale in the courtroom, you can't right. just do it for five minutes and like call it a day because of all people, Joseph Gordon-Levitt on the prosecution side says this is too much, guys. Like that's, well, that's not enough. <laughs> that's, I don't know. If, I mean, that was one of the most shocking scenes in the film. Uh huh. And it's sort of like. Well, here it is, and then now, okay, now we're moving on. And I'm like, wait, wait, I'm not ready to move on. There's more to talk about there. But, And I I can appreciate that maybe Aaron Sorkin, you know, he would say, well, I wanted to tell the story also of Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin and Tom Hayden. 
but I, I I felt like maybe the story I wanted I wanted a little bit more about Bobby Seale. Not, well, not not that it has to be just about him, but but yeah, the, know, the, I think he's frankly a lot more. more interesting. That's the thing. Like if and okay. if it, if you want to make a movie that's you know I don't think Tom Hayden's a guy where it's like man this guy needs a whole movie to flesh out his story. But Bobby Seale, it's like there's a lot there. And I, I mean, I, I guess I look forward to Judas and the Black Messiah, the movie that is about the Blame Panthers, to maybe do more of that legwork for me. But this movie, as it stands, like, yeah, I agree with you, Mark. There's a lot there that I would have liked to know more about or have more to go with it, because it, it's just like, here's a terrible thing, and then we're moving <laughs> it out of the movie all of a sudden. It's like, right. it, it makes me... it. And I don't, I don't think he's intentionally trying to do this, but it does make me feel like Aaron Sorkin's like, I don't want the 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 large majority of the audience that watches my movies to be too uncomfortable and that's a shame like he's like a, you, you should well you should make them uncomfortable like that's telling the truth that's telling again, the story <laughs> right I, I i'm trying to sort of put myself into his uh mindset but i do feel like aaron sorkin kind of sees himself as the tom hayden character yeah he's sort of this he's that guy he's like he's you know left-leaning but sort of wanting to work within the system. And that's kind of how Tom Hayden is portrayed. He's, he, he is on the left, but he's also, I want to, and that's a big part of the film is I want to work within the system and you got to like, you know, and I think, I think, Aaron Sorkin identifies with that guy, and so that's why he becomes such a, a major part of this film, um, and, and maybe to a lesser extent, not as much, but also Abby Hoffman. I, I think I think he identifies a lot more with Tom Hayden than Abby Hoffman, but I think that's also part of his mindset. And I think maybe you know Bobby Seale, maybe he doesn't quite understand that character as much, and so he gets he gets you know he gets his due, but not enough. And I think yeah, it needed more. Yeah. Well, let's. I don't want to keep going on about this stuff. I think we made our point clear because there's so many other people in this movie. But did did you like Redmayne in this movie? Yeah, I mean, so Redmayne is a is a is a I, he's a he's a good actor, great actor. I mean, I I enjoyed him in The Theory of Everything, and and uh, and I think he's good in here. I I, I don't think I, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what kind of nominations this film gets. I. I would not nominate. I really, to be honest, I don't know if I would nominate really any of the performances. I, I think they're fine. Um, I think the screenplay is something that's worthy of nomination. Um, and, and maybe, maybe Mark Rylance because it is kind of a very important role in the film. Um, but that I, I, I think he was fine. I, I think he's, he's, you know, good in the role, but uh, not like, uh, it didn't blow me away. I'll tell you my issue because <laughs> I do okay. think he's. Overall... I, I don't have strong issues. I just... No, no, fair enough. And I, I we could make it more general or talk about more of the ones that we that really stuck out to us because I do think Rylance and some of the others are very key here, where others aren't. Uh, but I my issue with Eddie Redmayne's character is that I I think there's a lot of good scenes with him where he's kind of going back and forth with Rylance or whoever, whomever, uh, Cohen as well that work, but. By the end of the film, it it almost feels like, well, we didn't give him enough to do, so let's give him this big moment at the end, and well, so, not that and not not that it's his performance necessarily, but it just kind of lands of a thud. I just okay, like, so I, that I so I mean we can get into the ending, but that I had a problem with it because it's the last thing you see, mm -hmm. and it is, I mean, the most cliched, hackneyed <laughs> ending. <laughs> I I mean I won't I let's, can't let's, spoil let's, it. let's let's put a pin in that. But we'll that's, get we'll but that's get... not Eddie Redmayne's fault though. No, I don't think that's, it is either. But I do. That's Aaron, I mean... that's Aaron Sorkin. He wrote that scene and, and directed it. Is, it. <laughs> it's almost a it's almost a parody of a scene, you know. 
of that you would expect to see. I mean, I think there was a literal slow clap in the in there, the ending. Basically, I mean, as far as what we do, we'll get we'll get back so, to that. Yeah. But I do. But right. I'm not saying I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's but Redman's that's not fault Redman. specifically. That said, he does make a lot of choices in this movie. It just that just <laughs> seemed random to me as far as like I'm just gonna lean aggressively in scenes or. Just little right. body mode. Just it's things that there are enough that they stuck out to me, like things that I normally wouldn't pick on, but there are enough of them as a whole where it's like, all right, like he's really trying to like play a persona here. Maybe just because the character seems like such a kind of a nothing by comparison when you have other big performances coming out of some of the other cast members. But let's talk about Sasha Baron Cohen a little bit because obviously this is a, you know, while he is humorous at times, it is a dramatic performance overall, and. I do think he, I think he fits in this element. I do. I like. I like. I like the energy he was bringing to the him and uh, Jeremy Strong. But I mean, it's more of Cohen's movie, I would say, as far as that goes. And I think he's as the as far as the yippies are concerned. I do think him as Abby, Abby Hoffman um, does a commendable work here. Uh, quite good. Yeah, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is good. I think you know he you know him as Borat and and some of his comedic roles. So here he's playing it more straight. And so I think sometimes we have a tendency to give him more props because, you know, he's he's doing something different. I don't know whether if, you know, if another actor who I maybe an unknown who's playing this role, I'm not sure if I would like go out of my way to praise the performance. However, I do think it was very smart of, I guess, Aaron Sorkin to write into this uh, the character that he addresses his followers almost like in a stand-up routine where yeah. he's talking about things. And that really plays to Sasha Baron Cohen's strengths. And I mean, he's almost in a sense getting to play himself as a comedian, uh, but, at, you know, talking about, uh, you know, his various like points of view of things, uh, but to his his, uh, you know, essentially followers. I thought that was really good. I kind of like the there there are cutaways throughout the I mean, it's essentially a court case, but then they cut away to scenes uh, frequently uh, to give uh, detail as to more about what's happening or the characters. And I, th- I like that about it. I, I agree. I, I go as far as to say, while we're both kind of mixed on the direction, I do think the editing of this film is quite good uh, be between the pacing and just the way it's structured, not too dissimilar from the social network, which balances like what two court cases and the main narrative. This one tries to do something similar as far as having the main court case, having look backs at how things led up to the court case and then having, yeah, like these interstitials with Abby Hoffman. I think that stuff worked well. I think it did well to keep a certain energy to this movie, which is again, why I think it works as a kind of, well, it's entertaining throughout. It's easy to watch this movie. So are, are you, are you like wanting uh, him to get a nomination for uh, Oscar nomination? Uh, not necessarily, but like if it happened, I wouldn't be offended by it. I guess is the yeah, because that's the buzz, and mm-hmm. I I'm not feeling that. But you know, I mean, yeah. I I, I, won't, I wouldn't be mad if he got nominated, but um, I I don't. I mean, if if at the end of the year, you know, I, or you know, I, if I was to pick five performances that I felt were worthy, uh, his would not be in there. I agree. For I, me. I I've. I keep a running tally. I know which performances I'm, I'm super struck on. And I, I do think, yes, he's very good in the movie, but I don't, yes, I wouldn't, he would make like my top five right now as far as, man, this is a great supporting performance that we have to, you know, champion or he, whatnot. I will say this. He is, he is a charismatic, uh, you know, personality and he is an important part of this film. I mean, I would mm-hmm. say, you know, what is it? Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, and, and maybe, um, Rylance. I mean, yeah, Rylance. I mean, and and, and honestly, uh, Frank Langella. I mean, they're they're sort of like the main uh, 
components. Uh, I, I think he's he rises to the occasion, so he he's good. He he doesn't he doesn't disappoint. For sure. Let's talk about Rylance a little more now, since we've mentioned him a number of times. I do like he works. Like he like whatever you know, he burst onto the scene. Obviously, he was doing theater and he was doing other things, but he burst on with Bridge of Spies. And ever since then, every time he shot pops up in something, I'm like. Well, Mark Rylance is here, so it can't be all bad. Like, he's doing his job. I mean, that's who I identified with. I was just like, I felt like, oh, gosh, I'm just like, I'm trying to work within the system of this court case. I want to follow the rules. But at the same time, I just feel like I'm, my hands are tied. And so I, I really understood his frustration, you know, as he's trying to represent these people. Yeah, uh, very much so. And like he... He has, I mean, those sparring moments he has with with uh, with the judge like really work. Uh, and there's, you know, with him, the the kind of the tr- the trio of him, Bobby Seal, and the judge. There's some moments that really like got to me in the right kind of way. Where I'm like, I wish the movie was on this level all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are possibly the best moments of the film. Is is that is that dialogue? Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's good. I mean, there's obviously one thing that's a huge problem with him. It's that he's not wearing his hat. Like, that's just something I know Mark Rylance for at this point. He just, he just he wears a good hat. I mean, that's right. Well, he's got to show off his, you know, long hair. Exactly. And that is something that William Kunstler, like that was a big thing about him. Like he was a, you know, he's a, he was a civil rights activist and everything. Well, yeah. and he was also like a, he supported the kind of countercultural movements. So right, right. I mean, I was going to say, if, if anything, if, if you need any like symbol to represent what's that? side you're on is short hair you know or long hair that's like a, a very easy way to sort of represent that yeah and uh it does the, i mean it's no hat but it does the job <laughs> um let's see anyone else like st- okay let i mean we've talked about a number of people i think are quite strong in this film. we both think are you know strong enough in this film i'm sure you have some gripes of some of the other casting choices where, where are the ones that are less successful you feel I mean, I don't had, I don't know if I had gripes. I mean, what did you think of Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I think much like Lincoln, it's like when he's in something else, he's quite good. I think he's a very capable actor. But when he's surrounded by, frankly, better talent, it just shows. <laughs> like, that's kind of how yeah. I felt. You know, th- this is also... Maybe it's the character, I, but... Well, know. and the, he was a device. I mean, he's essentially the guy who is tasked to prosecute... But he has qualms, and and that's that's his character, and and he represented that that person. Um, but I just don't know if I, I was convinced or if I believed it. Like I don't know. It it wasn't it wasn't he. I mean, I didn't think he was bad in the role, but I I just he wasn't a compelling presence. I didn't believe. It's not compelling when you put him up against like Mark Rylance, someone that's a seasoned actor and like, ha- like, and have him trying to score points and the scenes directed to make it feel like he somehow won the scene. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Like, I, that's just kind of how I kept feeling in certain parts of this. Right. It's like, he's there and he's doing like his thing and it's fine, but it's whatever they're trying to write him at. Cause they're like, uh, what rich, he's supposed to be like a pit bull prosecute. Like the, you know, yeah. what's his and name? He wasn't, he wasn't. He... Yeah. You have, um, guy from the wire, um, John Dorman as uh, as John Mitchell being like I got I, I'm bringing you onto this case because you're a pit bull you're a guy that gets the job done and I just never saw that at all in 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 um, this this character no, he, he, he he was questioning it right from the start and I I don't know how much of that is Joseph Gordon Levitt's fault and how much is the the 
problem with the script. But I, I, I felt like he almost felt like somebody who almost would have left the case. Like, yeah, that's oh, the I, thing. That's, I just, and, I just don't believe what I'm doing. So why am I here? And I, and I, from what I just know about this case to begin with, uh, it just doesn't add up to me that this, like, that this would be a thing that the prosecution would have someone that's this kind of centrist on the side of things going for it and that right. that that feels like a weakness in the writing honestly as far as right because you have to you have to write it so that we uh, we believe that he mm-hmm. really you know questions what he's doing and yeah and i you know i don't need mustache twirling villains on the other side to like emphasize this point but at the same time you can't give me a prosecutor that you know <laughs> feels like he's impassioned by everything else going on around him. Be like, what have I done with my life? He should be a guy <laughs> like that 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 is doing his job. Like, there's a scene with him and Shakespeare and Cohen that I think works well. Him and uh, Jeremy Strong as um as a uh, Reuben, where they're in the park, right? They're like on recess uh-huh. and uh, they just kind of interact. And he seems a lot colder there. Like Cohen's trying to relate to him. And he and he seems like no, like I'm doing my job and you guys are on the wrong side. Like there's a there's energy there where I felt like, okay, like I can buy into him. Like even if he doesn't morally believe in some of this stuff, he still seems like a guy that's doing his work. But in the courtroom, it just did not show. So, right, just didn't quite click there. Um, and I mean, yeah, the the rest of the cat. I mean, okay, there's one big cast name that <laughs> is not in it very long. But what do you think of Michael Keaton's performance in this movie? Well, it was kind of like, and here we present Michael Keaton. I mean, he, he was, you know, very showy and and uh, not uh, maybe not uh, di- didn't exactly disappear into the role. I, to be honest, he's in the movie for so short and it's such a it's it's way near the end. I, I don't think it it hurt the film for me. But uh, yeah, they could have they could have cast somebody who maybe maybe an unknown in that just because well, given that michael keaton's like 69 and the character he's portraying um ramsey clark is like was like 42 at the time it's like yeah all right you just wanted to get michael keaton in here i think right. but, i mean that's well, not... go ahead. Uh, you obviously have strong thoughts so uh, i mean I'm, it's I'm it's less strong him. thoughts about him like he's doing his job he's michael keaton i'm not going to say no to michael keaton in the movie at the same time <laughs> it does feel like if he gets a supporting actor nomination for like seven minutes of doing nothing of importance beyond just talking well i will be upset about that it's like it, it, you know give anybody else a nomination cool but if the so answer i haven't if, i haven't if, heard that buzz is, i haven't heard that, that either but i'm just saying oh, it just okay. seems like some bullshit they try to pull though you know well, like just because he's, so, he's older and he deserves an oscar so let's you nominate know, him so that kind of that does sort of this does i hate the phrase oscar bait but the the movie overall feels a little bit like yeah this is sort of the whole movie feels like something that was almost designed to win awards so that i i would imagine that casting michael keaton in that role might have been done with a nod to that it feels yeah it does it feels to put it you know it feels uh, calculated which is a shame because i do think they're doing they're all doing the job michael keaton's certainly doing his job but it does feel like well he we can get him let's have him as opposed to we need him and i i agree i don't like to think of things that way i don't like to use the term oscar bait necessarily but there are movies where there's no other real way to describe them beyond calculated efforts to win awards as opposed to tell the story. Now, right. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Aaron Sorkin just like, I've always wanted to work with Michael Keaton, and this was the perfect role for him. I don't know. I'm sure that's probably part of it. Who wouldn't want to work with if, if, if I can say, hey, Michael Keaton, come over. Sure, why not? Like, well, let's see that happen. But at the same time, it just, for the film right there, it felt like a moment that's more about, we can play this in a clip, as opposed to, this is going to serve our film super well. Uh... <laughs> that's like the worst thing i'll ever say about michael Keaton. <laughs> well i mean and, and you know what did he do he he accepted the role that's not his fault yeah it's, it isn't he does his job he he can't help the fact that you know who he is and, I, I, again I'll, 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 bad but I, yeah i don't think he's bad either i think he, he's perfectly fine it's more yeah. of outsider stuff that's affecting my thoughts on it after the fact which is unfair but i'm still saying it anyway i'm still pointing it out i will say though the fact that he shares a scene with eddie redmayne the person who you know took his oscar from him um, oh I do, that's I interesting do, yeah I, I i do i do like that there's a kind of like he's like tom hayden starts to speak up at one point and then ramsey clark kind of gives him a look and speaks back to him and i'm like that's fun that's a fun yeah, like from an that, outsider perspective that's fun i didn't even think of that but yeah. that's an interesting uh observation yeah. um i'm sure they're good friends uh yeah they probably hang out all the time so <laughs> let's talk more about how this movie kind of structured and plays out. Cause I do want to, we, we talked about the ending a little bit and I want to point out some other things that kind of fall into that same category as far as hackneyed cliche stuff. Cause there's things like John Carroll Lynch's character who plays David Dellinger, a conscientious objector and a person that's like fighting to end the war in Vietnam. Who's a pacifist. And how do they establish he's a pacifist? Cause he tells his son, I don't, I'm not going to hit anybody. That's not me. Guess what happens later in this movie? Right. And guess the, guess what the shot is when it happens? A shot of the son, quiver-lipped, looking at his dad like, no, you said not to do this. <laughs> it's stuff like that that's kind of peppered throughout this movie also. Yeah. Which just kept It's little things like that that just kept making me think, the stuff's here to make this work well, better. And yet we're making choices that don't. And it's unfortunate. So just uh, when they introduce David Dellinger, uh, and he's going off to uh, – you know, the protest and he's telling his son these he's laying the groundwork like, you know, follow the rules. And when a when a cop tells you, I forget the words he says, but he seems to respect policemen. He respects yeah. authority. And in those int that the introduction to this movie where they're introducing all the characters is not a portion of this movie that sold it for me. I, mm. I, 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 I became on board later through the court case. But the way that the. The, it, these characters are in, introduced is very clumsy <laughs> and when they're introducing him and saying these things to his son like you know always respect authority and policemen are good i thought oh this is gonna have consequences somewhere later because it's just too obvious yeah and so it's just elements like that where once again obviously yeah spielberg can solve many problems that's the kind of director he is but it does feel like a better director regardless of spielberg or not could handle that kind of breezy opening to a greater degree. For example, I I couldn't help but think of a movie like Argo while watching this movie, as far as something that has dramatic stakes, has a certain level of importance, is telling, is giving some highlight to history that you might not have, you know, been overall aware of at this point in time, just given how old you are or how much you remember this. But it still like has you know bits of comedy, obviously, or what have you. And I, like I think that's much more successful because it knows how to balance those different elements. It doesn't seem to fall too far into 
cliche that you can argue these things but hey you know what it won best picture like i i think a, yeah. a fair a fair number of people like argo uh, I, I don't think it's controversial to say argo is a good movie yeah and i do think it's because it doesn't have nearly as many elements like the ones that kind of make this film suffer by comparison do you, you, you feel that you get what i'm saying yeah no definitely um because i do think they're tracking similar courses as far as hey here's a all-star cast big movie from a studio has that kind of feel where it's like, yeah, this can go all the way as far as awards and stuff goes, but it's also entertaining while still having drama. I, I just that, like that feels like a more successful version if you're trying to do that. Where this one, yeah, it just has these well, issues. Argo has a little bit more lightheartedness to it too. I mean, it, it, there's a little more humor or something. I, this movie is is very serious. I mean, sure, there's, I mean, people I get just, executed in Argo. Like, there's bad stuff that happens in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think. Trial of the Chicago 7, though, I mean, there's some humor with, like, the Abby Hoffman character, but for the most part, it seems very, very serious, I mean, to me. Sure. I guess it's because the dialogue's so, like, it crackles at times, so regardless of, like, if it being dramatic dialogue, there's still, like, a kind of back and forth in the flow that kind of, it keeps you in the moment, I guess. I know what you're saying. Right. It is a drama. I wouldn't categorize this as anything but a drama. I, I hear you there. It's not a thriller. It's a drama. But uh, let's say some good things for a while. <laughs> I think we've been like dogpiling on this a lot. Uh, what, what is rather like good elements that that kind of worked in this film? I mean, I I think the writing is 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 great. I mean, I I do think uh, Aaron Sorkin has a facility with language, and he um, knows how to you know write this. I mean, he's known for this rapid fire dialogue, and he does have a tendency to write monologues. But they are compelling, and when so when someone is speaking, I was riveted to what they were saying. So I I, I was I was never bored by this film. So I mean I I that's a that's a compliment. I mean I I can't say that about everything. Yeah, I mean I agree, especially for like you know if you're saying here's a new drama about the Chicago Seven, I can I can you know. Sometimes that doesn't sound like the most compelling thing to watch right away, but I do think you that's I think that's why I've been emphasizing the dialogue and the kind of energy that comes in the you know the pacing and the editing of the film works in its favor i, I do like i again i I could turn this on on Netflix and be entertained by it like it it just works that way like I hate that you can't just be like I can go to a theater and see this and be entertained by it, but still I do think it works as far as giving you that and I do think like the ensembles like outside of the courtroom when you have like the seven and Mark Rylance, when you have them just kind of, you know, hanging out <laughs> or like preparing for the next day, there's more, there's continued good stuff there. There's, there's a lot of like personalities to balance. And I do think, you know, out separated from, you know, the emotion of the scene or what have you, when he just lets the characters be the characters, I do think that, you know, that shines. There's areas where that shine. When you have uh, Abby Hoffman and Tom Hayden, you know, going against each other, since they're guys on the same side, but are also, you know, opposed from a, a kind of personality point of view, there's there's stuff there that you know clicks for me quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, and this is just from a factual standpoint, but it, it's interesting that these seven characters really, I mean, I guess they some of them sort of were aware of each other, but you know they were charged with conspiracy, and mm. they really are seven separate people, and 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 that's interesting that you know that this happened, and 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 I mean again we're just talking about history here, but. The, the the story they're detailing is sort of an interesting and and I to be honest and we'll talk about uh, I know you have a question about uh, great courtroom dramas I love courtroom dramas in fact there some of some of my favorite films are courtroom dramas so there's there's something compelling about the uh, you know trying to 
get to the truth and and the discussion. I mean, an intelligent discussion of the facts and that sort of thing. So that is all something that I really appreciated. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff to be found in this the this kind of setting for a film for sure. There's a lot of you know good ways to work with, and I I do think Sorkin's his writing does speak to how well he can handle this kind of movie when it comes to like trials, especially because there's so much, there's so many moving parts and for, you know, a playwright to handle that. I think that's, that's a lot of like juicy material to kind of work with. Um, what else? Anything, any other thoughts on the trial of Chicago seven? We, I, I guess we kind of tiptoed around the ending a little bit, but was there anything specific you want to get into as far as how that ending goes well i mean I so we we discussed it quite a bit i just think you know it is the last thing you see and then the credits roll so it leaves for me it left a little bit of a bad taste because i was not not a it's just so traditional and cliched and um but you know that's that's what happened i mean that's how they decided to end it and uh you know i i, I think there are a lot of choices they could have done something differently but um, I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't really have anything to add. No, fair enough. I'll, I'll just say what struck me is how almost like American graffiti, how matter of fact the text was. <laughs> you know, since I have to have that wrap up text to give you where every character is. And there's a lot of it where <laughs> it's just it's presented so plainly as far as, you know, tragic things happen to some of these people after this courtroom case and it's just like kind of stated there while daniel pemberton's very uplifting music plays and it's like what are we doing like what 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 is what am i supposed to and i guess that's part of it what am i supposed to take away from this obviously we could connect this to things happening today to some degree as far as the attitudes of the times and why they're even in the courtroom to begin with and like that's all well and good but you can see that you know pretty quickly you don't need all you know two hours to be like oh this is just like 2020 like that's there it's very obvious why aaron sorkin took this movie to begin with if you look at it from that lens right so by the time you get to the end when it's giving you some text it's like what's the is there a greater message here because like none of these characters like there's i guess the one character is tom hayden or tom hayden um uh no oh yeah tom hayden i keep i keep thinking tom hagen from godfathers or whatever um so, um but like there's only so many people that have an ending that kind of you know, adheres to what they're tr- what the, the kind of person they are where certain people have either ignoble deaths or, or or tragic you know endings that don't really I don't know there's like nothing what am I taking away from this movie I guess is the question well I mean it, it's such a question mark I mean in a, in most court case you know, or courtroom dramas the the final scene is you know guilty or not guilty but that's not what happens here i mean it's it's you know is, his is and that's is part it, of the that's part of it because that's part of Tom the Hayden's point right speech yeah, yeah. And, it's part and, it's part of the point because like the case is basically like they don't I, i'm curious why they didn't actually have the line of the court but i know william kunstler in real life called it a kangaroo court like he actually like said it out loud and it basically is so it's like i'm not expecting to have like some kind of juror reveal that's super shocking because the whole thing's been rigged to be from the get-go but at the same time it's like so what so what's left then and yeah i think like we're both saying just having tom hayden give a speech it's not much coming out of that <laughs> like not yeah. much it's leaving me with anything i mean i guess it's sort of here is this character that has been sort of a figure i want to work with in the system and now he's saying f you is essentially what 
is happening in that scene which is and like it's a like weird, that's eh. a weird mini arc that's like well and, uh, and he wasn't even our, I, it doesn't seem like he's even your or my favorite character so yeah well because each like we talked about like um john carroll lynch has like a weird arc of like he's a pacifist and he hit a guy this is like you know there's things that set tom hayden up as like the standout because he respects the system like you've mentioned so by the time you get to the end ideal a better film would have that arc make sense to me and I guess it just didn't, right? They just kind of like, okay, and then he he did this instead. <laughs> and like even even Franklin Gella tees it up to him as far as being like, you've been the best, right? Nothing you say could be wrong compared to these other scoundrels. So you got to say something right now that's going to impress me. And he well, goes the other direction. To, <laughs> it's like they had to really <laughs> like set it up. Yeah. Like he he literally has a whole speech where he's like, man, you've been you've been aces in my book. These these clowns over here, nothing but on my nerves. But you, man, you've been the. Best. And I don't think he would have said that. But I mean, I, mean, I, I, don't I, know. I guess he did. Like, but. <laughs> right. So it's just weird, like the presentation of it. Yeah, that's different. But uh, and then I mean, I don't want to keep hurting Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but you know he's also there, and he's like, yeah, I'm I'm with this. And it's like, come right. on, like, I, because <laughs> I who was the actor? Because he was there was two of, on the prosecution, and there was the other gentleman. Yeah, the, there's the other actor. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and, his name and he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Throws his pen. Right. <laughs> it was just so like everything was just. Hackneyed is a good word for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I said it already, so I. Yeah. I but yeah. Let's just say, like, I know, you know, there's there's friends of this podcast that really like this movie a lot. That have a lot of great things to say about it. More power to them. I, I'm, you know, happy they like that. It's just oh, like. No, yeah. I mean this. So this movie is is getting. I mean, I I don't know if the buzz is to believed, but it it seems like it it might get a lot of Oscar nominations. At least that's what people are saying now. Who knows? It certainly but, has that early front runner position going for along with. Yeah. a couple other movies those things about and, yet. Yeah. yeah and those those things do change but i sort of knew about that so i sort of i try to kind of put that out of my mind as i'm watching the film but you know after it was over i was like yeah no i'm not i wouldn't be nominating this for very many things but you know i mean again aaron sorkin yes he, he has a facility with language yeah i agree and there's there is, a, I think, the, there's an overall competent movie here. It just doesn't uh, quite. Of course, it's it, competent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's more than competent. But it just, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm being a little unfair because I, I rated it higher than more than competent. It just, it, it feels like there's enough points that hold it back from being, you know, something you know truly out there, along with something like as, as a few good men or other other Sorkin related connected projects. So right. When should people watch this movie? It's on Netflix now. Should they should they pop? Should they put it on the top of the queue right right away? Should they just put it in there and eventually get to it or what? Yeah, I mean, I would say you put it in your queue, uh, but no, no urgency. Fair enough. I um, yeah, I I would agree with you. I think if you're really in the mood for you know just like a courtroom drama, well, this is a new one. It has a lot of people you probably like in it. Go for it. But otherwise, you know, it's not. There's, there's a lot of things I, I, out there. I said this earlier in the, in our discussion, but the, I I wouldn't like if if the average person asked me should I see it, I probably would say no. I, I would only recommend this to people who I I think have a, a predisposition to like you know a I don't know a, a story about this period in history. I, I think if if you have it, you know a, a, a interesting. Uh, I don't know if if you're into into like 60s, you know, late 60s, early 70s history, uh, then I would say yes. But I, 
not I I I think you're more positive than I am on it. I I, I would probably not recommend it to the average person. Fair enough. Our our tones are just a little bit different, but I I bet that when you po- post your written review, it'll be very much similar to my review. <laughs> I'm going to write down that. Um, all right. Well, that was our review of the Trial of Chicago Seven. Let's uh let's move on now. Let's get to some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Thank you, Mark. This is where we go over very <laughs> I have to step up. <laughs> this is where I go over the various questions and answered on our Facebook page, facebookcom podcast. We asked the listeners a number of questions that they gave us some uh, answers, and I don't think we got any questions this week, which is unfortunate. I would have liked to get some questions, but we still got plenty of well, we got some feedback here. I feel like lately <laughs> there's just a lot going on in America, let alone the world, where it's a little hard to be like, let me make sure to answer all the out and out there today feedback questions. Uh, so I do appreciate the listeners that chime in, and you know, once again. Feel free to do it. I, I post them up every Friday and Saturday. There's a number of questions for you guys to answer. Feel free to go for it because, uh, you know, it's always fun to get some listener feedback as well. Uh, with all that said, let's get into it. What's your favorite courtroom film? Chris writes, has to be A Few Good Men. So, yeah, Mark, what what are your, what's your favorite courtroom movie? So, I said earlier, I mean, some of these are my favorite films of all time. I, I love Anatomy of a Murder, uh-huh. To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. 12 Angry Men. Yeah, that's one of mine. And witness for the prosecution. Uh, let's not forget my cousin Vinny, which is wonderful. Oh yeah, that's a great comedic uh, movie. Also, I, I like uh, Kramer versus Kramer. I think that's also a good one. Is that a Maybe, courtroom uh, movie? I mean, I guess it's a courtroom. Yeah, movie. I guess I just don't think about it as a courtroom movie. <laughs> yeah, no. At the end, when they're—I mean, not the end, but like in, there's a yeah. you know with Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffman. And when Dustin Hoffman's to... like, I've been doing all this stuff for my kid, and Meryl Streep's like, I've been the best mom ever. That's not what she says. It's been really difficult. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, they won Oscars. Um, <laughs> I, um, no, I mean, yeah, there's quite, I, I, because I kind of feel the same about like To Kill a Mockingbird, where yes, there is a great courtroom scene in that movie, but I don't necessarily look at it as a courtroom movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there... the whole movie isn't courtroom, but yeah. it definitely it, the there's a major is, aspect that deals a major with the fact, part. Yeah, yeah, he he is a lawyer, and there's a whole big scene where Gregory Peck's like, "Here's my greatest speech ever in a movie," and uh, let me tell you about it. Um, my paraphrasing is amazing today, by the way. But um, no, I mean, yeah, it's there's a lot of good court movies for sure. Um, uh, the Verdict, that's another great one with uh, Paul Newman. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, oh I, uh, yep. lesser because it's more recent uh, and it hasn't had the time to accumulate the same prestige. But Primal Fear, I think, is a really good one. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, even this, I mean, the social network's not necessarily a courtroom, but I mean, there's two legal proceedings happening throughout that movie. <laughs> I mean, that right. fits in there as well. Uh, okay, next question we have. What's your favorite film depicting the counterculture? We didn't actually get any responses on this one. Any, any counterculture-related movies that you really like? Well, I've, I've always liked uh, the documentary Woodstock. Oh, uh, yeah. Detailing the, the concert um, yeah, I think I think that's a really well, and I like the, the sort of split screen and the way, it, and it's it's real. It's it's actually showing us, you know, what actually happened. So I I kind of like that. Um, there's a movie um, with Robert Forrester, the the late Robert Forrester, called Medium Cool. Oh yeah, uh, that's a that's a Classic. great one. That's a yeah, it's a it's a really good one. I'm gonna. This is not my favorite film, um, but I'm gonna say it because I know there are pe- listeners. Uh, Easy Rider is, yeah, that, yeah. is an obvious, uh, you know, uh, movie about the counterculture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I recently watched 
I guess it's, this is connected. I recently watched The Doors for the first time. I never actually seen The Doors, Oliver Stone's uh, film. Yeah, um, I've, to, I, I will admit I've never seen that film. I I was surprised how much I loved it. I think it's pretty great because uh, I've, I've always heard like mixed things about it, except that Val Kilmer is pretty terrific. Val Kilmer is very terrific, but the whole movie, like I can see where people might have issues, but I think if you're going to make a movie about the doors, Oliver Stone seems like the exact right person to have done that movie. Like it, uh-huh. it really it really works because of the way he decides to adapt Jim Morrison's story. Um, so I, you know. If you haven't seen it, that I think it's it might even yeah, be a prime. Okay. Actually, I think it's well. It's, you, uh, you just put, you know it's one of those movies that it hasn't really. I don't hear people talk about it, so yeah, now that I you mention it, maybe I'll I'll check it out. Like I was looking at was like ninety one. I was looking at the nominations that year, and it's like there's a strong lineup. <laughs> it's a good lineup that year. I get it. But at the same time, it's like he could have been in there. Kilmer's really good in that movie. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that's my doors tangent. Let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, next question we have here. What are some great films about revolutionaries? And uh, Chris writes, The Matrix. <laughs> I I like to think that's because of, like, Morpheus, but I'd also like to think because the third Matrix is called The Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that, that word revolutionaries is so broad. That could be a lot of different things. I try to make it broad, give you some, some wiggle room on there. Any Any favorites in mind when it comes to revolutionaries? Um, I like Spartacus. There you go. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, which was a British soldier, T.E. Lawrence. I'll throw uh, Malcolm X in there, because why not? Oh, yeah. Um, not my favorite film, I mean, but I think it's it's very well put together. Uh, Gandhi, obviously, is a <laughs> revolutionary. Yeah, he got a job done. I mean, <laughs> the movie itself is very... I don't know. I don't know how you feel about Gandhi. I think movie. it is a it is a handsomely staged epic that I do not need to see again. It won Best Picture because it did. <laughs> I mean, for me, as a, a little boy watching the Oscars that year, it's the movie that took Best Picture away from E.T. So I forever like sort of view it with you know disdain. But it, it is not a bad film. It is it is a well. It's not a bad act- film. It's just not at all. Ben Kingsley t- is. You talk about who's talking about the doors. Who's talking about Gandhi? <laughs> no. Well, but the only any only reason anybody would ever talk about it is because it did win Best Picture that year. So it yeah, sort of has that. Yeah. It it it, it has that niche in you know history. Yeah. <laughs> just and people talk about ET a lot more. <laughs> I'll tell you that. That's true. Um, okay. Let's uh, move to the next question here. It is, what are some great dramas featuring large ensemble all-star casts? Todd has, Todd Levin, out front of the show, writes Nashville. And Chris has Ocean's Eleven. And then he writes both, which I'm wondering, is that like a diss on on like, <laughs> on like the sequels or on, the, on just one of the sequels? Like he's saying 11 <laughs> and 12, or he's saying just the first and the original and not the sequels? I'm so curious about this, and I know he'll write in, so please do. But I just I, that humored me when he said both. <laughs> well, Ocean's Eleven is a good choice. That's a great, great cast. But it is. My other thing, though, I wouldn't say that's a drama. <laughs> that's my other problem. Right. <laughs> well, I'm going to... I'm, I'm just going to name... pick apart answers. Oh, that's what I'm going to do, apparently. <laughs> so, Spotlight, I thought, was really well done. Oh, if Chicago 7 is Michael Keaton. Yes. And... um. I'm going to go with also Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. I, I think that has a great cast. And well, let's, it's, let's throw Magnolia on top of there. Also. It's one of my favorite films. 
yeah, Boogie, Boogie Nights is, is is wonderful. Um, I don't know. What are some other huge ones? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You got a big ensemble cast and a a well known. I mean, playwright. there's so many. I mean, yeah, there are plenty. I try to think of like huge casts of like big big all star casts with a name. Um, well, yeah, it's also I mean another Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but Magnolia. Yeah, yeah, Magnolia does the job. Frogs. <laughs> just, just name one word that you I, I put Boogie, Boogie Nights I put that higher but for me but, but yeah, Magnolia I agree. Is, a, is a good movie Magnolia is one where it's like every time I watch it I'm like man this is pretty good but I like I never in the mood to watch it so I've only seen it like maybe three times in full um, and that movie's long also it's like three yes. hours and change yeah. like it's a it's, it's, it's an investment yeah it's like a, you know, you know, get get two snacks <laughs> it's a it's a, or it's a three snack movie yeah. Do, do you ever watch movies over like two nights or do you feel like you have to watch it all in one sitting? I, Anna knows <laughs> that I am very much the kind of person that likes to watch the whole thing in yeah, one sitting. Yeah. I suspected that. I, I, I'm I'm one, if it's three hours long, I'm okay with watching it over two nights and, and watching the first half. And then if, to be honest, I, I actually enjoy the movie. I, I realize it takes you out of it for a while, but you watch the first half and you're sort of, you're, you're excited. And then I, I actually am more excited about the second half when I come back to it. Than I would be if I was watching the whole thing all at once. So that's that's I, fair. I don't, I'm I'm okay with it. I've certainly you know, I, it's I've grown. Like I I'm willing to do it if necessary. I just don't tend to. Um, I think it, it's a personal choice. So I mean, if sure. yeah. if you think that your enjoyment is you know lessened by just splitting it up, then then don't. But it's uh, it's less about like the enjoyment factor. It's more about my stubborn need to complete something. <laughs> Like, where it's just like, if I don't do yeah. it now, when am I going to do it? Like, well, even though I, I feasibly know I will do it. And I, I appreciate, you know, there's something to be said with, you know, lights off, the TV on, focused, I'm in the moment. You know, this is the artistic statement of the director. I don't want to, you know, ruin it. You know, so I, I can appreciate that some people want to see to see it uninterrupted. But I, I can I can appreciate, a, a, especially if it's, even if it's three hours or longer, I, I really am. I'm more of a fan of splitting it up. The the weird thing is, uh, it's easier for me to watch a three hour movie in full, or like it's less of a, I don't know, it's less of a problem for me to do that than watch like a 90 minute movie where I'm like I can pause this for a while and come back to it later. Like for some reason that's like, yeah, I I like I have something I need to do all of a sudden. I feel like in my mind it's less of a challenge for me to make that choice. Where a three hour movie I'm like, well I put I put in whatever Bridge on the River Kwai. I'm gonna watch all of the Bridge on the River Kwai right now. <laughs> Well, so that's a movie. I, I, I love that movie. I don't oh, yeah. think I could, I could stop it, but you know. Yeah, because it rocks. I mean, like, yeah. it's, so, it's so much. No, like, that, uh, that it's I, so I'm good. not stopping that movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Next question here. What's your favorite Aaron Sorkin cinematic effort? Chris writes, yep, A Few Good Men. Jonathan Van Dyke, friend of the show, has Charlie Wilson's War. And Todd Liebenau, friend of the show, also has A Few Good Men. What's your favorite Sorkin thing? Um, my favorite, I would say, is The Social Network because I think it's the perfect combination of the writing and the style. But I, I am a I, I'm a big fan of A Few Good Men as well, so I would put that as a close second. Yeah, I mean, Social Network was my favorite movie of the decade, so it's not going to be too much of a <laughs> it's choice. It's a good there. choice. I do like it. I really like Steve Jobs, though. I do think that's a that's a really successful attempt as as far as um. Uh, portraying his life his life in three stages the way they do it and like having it written that way i do think it's a very good movie i think that was abe's number one of that year if i'm not mistaken too um okay next question here is this the last one 
Nope, that was the last one. I should have made that. Land like a thud, just like Eddie Redmayne. Uh, that was the last question. <laughs> uh, the next was if there was any questions. We didn't get any questions, unfortunately. But um, all right. Well, with, with with that, that was feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. With uh, that out of the way, that is going to do it for this week's episode about Now Theron and Abe. So uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing film reviews over at weliveentertainment.com, including uh, reviews for uh, films from AFI Fest, among other things. Also on Why So Blue, covering Blu-rays, and I'm occasionally on Variety with some uh, filmmaker interviews. And I'm on Twitter at AaronsPS4. Mark Hoban, where can people find more of you online? Uh, you can read my uh, reviews on my personal blog, fastfilmreviews.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter, Mark underscore Hoban. You can find all the other episodes about Now Theron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, Stitcher, HHWLOD, all the, all the places. Uh, Amazon Music now has podcasts, so we're on there, too. You, you can, Everywhere you go, you can find our show if you wanted to. You're on Spotify, uh, you said? We are on Spotify, yes. Oh, nice. Um, let's see. You can email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on this film or anything else we discussed. Uh, Facebook.com slash outnow podcast, Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast, and Instagram.com slash underscore yeah, slash outnow underscore podcast. Uh, Mark Hoban, thank you very much for joining us this week. Joining yeah. me this week. Thank you for having me, and, and it was a pleasure to discuss an Aaron Sorkin uh, movie. I, I I am a fan of him. Yeah, no, good to have you. Good to have the discussion, and yeah, hopefully next time Abe will be able to uh, join us uh, for a movie review. I, I know he seems to sometimes be out when you're on, which is unfortunate because uh, it's always fun to you know have us all together uh, talk about these things. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, I'm starting to get a complex. I'm wondering, you know, what's going on. <laughs> but he'll be he'll be back. You'll be back. We'll all be back. We'll be doing this more. But until next time, so long and goodbye. Yeah, my boy.